Luke Perry died. Yeah, Luke Perry, who you know from 90210, Dylan McKay. He also most recently was in this hit show about the Archie comics. It's called Riverdale on Netflix. Here's a listen. Hey, bud. Where'd you sneak off to last night? You, uh, you heard that? Son, I've been hearing you sneak out since you were eight years old going to Jughead's treehouse. I couldn't sleep. I went for a jog to tire myself out. Yeah. Got something on your mind? Just all this stuff with Jason. Mm. No more midnight runs until the police catch whoever it was who shot that poor kid. I swear to God, this town. Yeah, uh, he was a big... Big uh, part, he played a big role, Archie Andrews' dad in Riverdale. And I know that the uh, the Vancouver set of Riverdale were mourning yesterday. They released a statement uh, saying Luke was everything you would hope he'd be, an incredibly caring, consummate professional with a giant heart, a father figure, and a mentor to the show's young cast. Luke was incredibly generous, and he infused the set with love and kindness. Our thoughts are with Luke's family during this most difficult time. He had two kids, 18 and 21, I believe. He was just getting ready to uh, embark into a new marriage, his, his fiance, uh, devastated by this, obviously. And uh, he passed away after a massive stroke Thursday, February 28th. We reported on it during the show. We had heard at the time that he was in a medically induced coma. Then his uh, PR team came back and tweeted out, nope, not in a medically induced coma. Um, But apparently he was comatose for a while, died yesterday at the age of 52. People blown away because this is a guy who looks relatively in good shape. I mean, he's he's lean, he's long, he's uh, it's hard to believe. Studies suggest that stroke rates have increased in recent years, particularly in young people the ages of 35 to 44. So we've reached out to our first guest on the show, Dr. Brett Belchetz, Global News Radio's medical expert. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for being here. So why are younger people, you know, why are the stroke rates increasing in in particularly younger people ages 35 to 44? Well, that is actually a very good question, and it's something that uh, physicians have been puzzling over for a number of years. And uh, to put that into perspective, uh, stroke rates overall are going down across the broader population. But it is uh, an exception to that rule that in younger people who had very, very, very low rates of stroke to begin with, we're seeing an increase. So even with that increase, the rates of stroke in people of Luke Perry's age and people who are younger than that are still very, very low. So this isn't something that people should be alarmed about. But there's a few thoughts as to why this is happening. All of these are theories. None are proven. Some of them revolve around the fact that we are just much, much better at detecting strokes than we used to be. So, you know, if we were to go back in time 20, 30 years ago, many people would have symptoms that might not be caught as a stroke, but due to superior brain imaging like MRI scans, et cetera, we are identifying many more cases than we used to. Uh, The other side of the equation is just changing health patterns among the population. So the other big theory here is that we are seeing an epidemic of obesity an epidemic of diabetes, an epidemic of high blood pressure, an epidemic of sedentary lifestyles, all among younger people than what we used to see. So there is a thought that because all of these are risk factors of stroke, and we're seeing these at such greater numbers in young people than we used to, that this is probably one of the greatest contributing factors to the rate of this illness going up in young people that we're seeing right now. I'm going to ask you a question you probably do not expect, but it will tie into our next call segment. Are you at greater risk of a stroke if you commute for long periods? Uh, It's a good question. Um, I would say probably there is an association, uh, mostly around the fact that people who commute for long periods of time typically are people that are exercising less, 
they have more sedentary lifestyles. Uh, often that is associated with, you know, a job where you, you are working in an office environment where you sit for long periods of day. Uh, I, I would say all of that probably is very much associated with a number of other behaviors that make you more likely to have a stroke. Now, this is just me postulating mm-hmm. a hypothesis. This is not proven by fact. Uh, but I would certainly say the drive itself is probably not a risk factor for stroke, but it's everything that goes with that commute. But aren't blood clots a risk factor for stroke? And wouldn't they increase with, you know, you is sitting in one position for a long period of time? Uh, blood clots are exactly what causes one form of stroke, which is what we cause an ischemic, call an ischemic stroke. However, the kind of blood clots that you would get from sitting in a car for a long period of time are typically blood clots that form in your legs. And when we get those blood clots in our legs, those usually don't cause stroke. So typically, if those travel, that actually causes what's called a pulmonary embolism. So they go up into our lungs. So what is a huge risk factor for stroke is actually blood clots that form in the heart. And the most common risk factor for blood clots forming in the heart is one of two things. It's either an arrhythmia that we call atrial fibrillation, when you have an irregular heartbeat, which allows blood to clot in the heart. The other thing that really commonly causes people to have a risk factor for stroke is if they have problems with the valves in their heart. So any deformity of those valves that would allow blood to clot on the valves themselves, that is a big risk factor for stroke. But those clots that you get in the legs, those typically do not make it all the way to the brain because they have to go through the lungs before they ever get to the brain. If you have a, uh, one of these uh, valve, uh, you know, um, what's the word that you just used for them? Uh, abnormality. Right. If, if, would you know or could you just be, could it just be a ticking time bomb for people listening to the show right now that have no idea that there's anything wrong with their valves? It's something that usually would get picked up on any normal physical examination from a doctor. So when a doctor listens to your heart, it's quite easy to hear that there's an abnormality of a valve. And when your doctor hears that, the test that they're going to order is a special kind of ultrasound of the heart called an echocardiogram, which will give them a very, very good picture of that valve. It will let them know if this is the kind of valve that needs to be fixed or replaced. And so this isn't something in our day and age with modern medicine that we see lying untreated for long periods of time. What is a greater risk factor for stroke, um, there's actually two things that are are, are the big things that are sort of ticking time bombs. One is that arrhythmia called atrial fibrillation that I spoke about. So a lot of people don't know that they have this, so they go day in and day out thinking that their heart is beating normally, but it's actually beating irregularly. And sometimes it can go like that for months at a time before it ever gets picked up by a physician or causes any symptoms. And that is a huge risk factor for stroke if it's not treated. And then the other thing that causes stroke is just the same set of processes that causes heart attacks. So we're looking at clotting in blood vessels. So cholesterol buildups on the walls of arteries, fatty deposits, and eventually that blocks off the arteries to our brain and causes a stroke. So all of those bad habits that causes your heart to have disease, like lack of exercise, poor eating, diabetes, blood pressure, smoking, et cetera, all of those are, are the sort of cumulative ticking time bombs that are putting you at risk of stroke. But Luke Perry, he looked extremely healthy. He looked like a healthy 52-year-old. So what would put him at risk? Well, there's a lot of questions here. So, you know, we've heard the term stroke used. We don't know what kind of stroke he had. So, so stroke can mean one of a number of things. It can mean an ischemic stroke, which is what I'm talking about, which is when you block a blood vessel and all of these other things are risk factors. There's also what we call a hemorrhagic stroke, which can be due to bleeding in the brain. And when you have bleeding in the brain, that can come from one of two things. Either there's bleeding from a very small artery in the brain tissue, which we typically see in older people who have lots of chronic illnesses, or it can come from a ruptured aneurysm, which we often see in younger people, which is something where there really is no relation at all to your underlying health. It's really just bad luck that you have a malformation in one of your arteries in your brain, and that that can rupture at any point in time. And so 
in my mind, the fact that this was such a massive event and that it did happen at a relatively young age, you know, we don't have the information. But, you know, it is very rare that I've seen very young, healthy people have massive ischemic strokes at his age. It can happen, but unlikely. Um, more likely, I start to think about things like hemorrhagic strokes, those bleeding strokes for which lifestyle factors often are not as big of a contributing mm-hmm. factor. I understand that uh, one of the things you want to do is doctors want to alleviate pressure from swelling in the brain following a stroke. But the younger you are, the more difficult this could be. It could work against you because your brain hasn't begun to shrink yet. Is that correct? Yeah, that is true. So, so when we look at brains in, in elderly people, uh, they typically occupy much less of the space in your skull than the brain of a healthy young person. So, so typically what we see is if you were to look at imaging of a brain and say, you know, a child uh, the brain is basically sitting right up against the skull. There is almost no space at all. Whereas when we look at the imaging of, say, a, you know, a 70-year-old, typically because of the brain shrinkage, there is, you know, a one to two centimeters often of space between the edge of the brain and the skull. And so there's a lot more room for that brain to swell. There's a lot more forgiveness for bad events that are happening in the brain itself. Uh, so certainly that is quite true. Do we know why the brain shrinks as we get older? Uh, it's the same as any other part of our body. So we typically <laughs> see degeneration and cell death and, and, and shrinkage of many parts of our body over right. the course of our lives. You know, all of our organs tend to degenerate to some extent, as do our muscles and everything else. So this is just part of the normal process of aging. I heard that there are reports that Luke Perry, after his stroke on Thursday, was alert in talking to paramedics, and then his condition worsed, worsened after he was transported to hospital. Does that seem uh, something that would be normal and typical in a, a 52-year-old that has a stroke? It's very common. Um, again, the, the question is what kind of stroke we're speaking about. So if we're talking about a hemorrhagic stroke, which is a bleeding stroke, and, and I've seen, unfortunately, several of these in my career, usually people start out and they're conscious and they're speaking to me and very quickly over the course of hours they can go to being comatose and actually passing away very, very quickly. So it, it's an awful progression that happens in front of your eyes that there's very little that we can do about a lot of the time. Um, usually with ischemic stroke, it's a slightly different picture. So typically what happens is the event is the worst right when it happens. So people have the, the maximal symptoms at the initial part of the stroke, and then they tend to get a little bit better over time as that initial shock from that blood vessel being blocked tends to wear off or a little bit of blood starts to trickle around that blockage. Uh, again, it's very, very hard to, to explain his set of symptoms without knowing what kind of stroke this was, but, but this is not an unusual story. You have to act fast when you uh, think that someone is having a stroke. It's very important to get them to the hospital. That get them to the hospital as quickly as possible. In fact, the the acronym for strokes and uh, the warning signs is fast. Face drooping, arms weak, speech. Time to call nine one one. Why is it that we have to act very quickly when we're dealing with a stroke? So a stroke is very much like a heart attack. You know, I think the analogy, it's almost like a heart attack for the brain, which is that you have got a blockage, and I'm speaking about an ischemic stroke, you've got a blockage in the artery supplying blood to the brain. And just like when we hold our breath and we're not getting oxygen to our body, there's only so much time that those brain tissues can survive when they're not getting blood flow. So the key key point to treating a stroke is to open up that blockage as quickly as possible. So our brain tissue can last a a certain period of time. So we're looking at a few hours maximum without that blood supply. And after that, it becomes irreversible. So what we're looking to do is immediately recognize those signs of stroke, get to the hospital right away. And the good thing is that we're living in a day and age where we actually have some fairly effective treatments where we can actually open up and reverse those blockages. So if you 
don't wait if you get treatment right away a lot of people actually can walk away from a stroke now actually almost in perfect condition which was something that was unheard of several decades ago so you know this is something where i've seen a lot of people unfortunately you know deny that they're having a stroke refuse treatment think that it's nothing and that it'll get better on its own these are the worst choices you can make if you're having any symptoms that even remotely think that make you think that you're having a stroke you need to get yourself in for assessment right away immediately because that's your only opportunity for treatment to work can you have what, one of the symptoms and be having a stroke like your your speech is impaired Absolutely. Yeah. So, so people can have a constellation of symptoms depending on the type of stroke. So, so we see a number of different stroke patterns depending on which artery is blocked. So, you know, most commonly we do see the constellation of people with, you know, one-sided paralysis or their face will be weak and their arms are weak or, you know, their face and arms are numb. Are numb. But, but we will often see people that have isolated difficulty speaking or difficulty understanding or isolated visual defects like double vision or even isolated problems walking. So, you know, when we see uh, blockages of some of the arteries in the back of our brain, sometimes the only symptom is that people can't walk all of a sudden. So mm. the key is anything that's unusual along any of these dimensions that comes on all of a sudden, the first thing that should be on anybody's mind is stroke. And the first thing you should be doing is getting to a hospital. Thank you so much, Dr. Belchett. It's a pleasure talking to you. My pleasure. You have a great day. You as well.